Ny vecka, nya tag. Hjärtligt välkomna till podden. Och jag är äntligen frisk, eller någorlunda frisk. Jag har legat corona, det var liksom min tur nu eh, den här veckan. Eh, fick det väldigt milt så jag är otroligt tacksam. Hade knappt någon hosta, hade ingen feber. Det var två dagar av huvudvärk i princip. Men min astma har spökat lite. För att min, alltså jag har ju aldrig astma annars, jag, har ju, jag är ju omedicinerad. Men... Eh, Alltså den sitter ju på samma ställe som corona sätter sig. Så att det blir ganska tungt i astma. Jag har aldrig tagit så här mycket medicin, astmamediciner på typ sju år liksom. Så att ja, man är lite liksom en slagen hjälte nu efter ett par dagar. Men det blir säkert bra. Jag är jätteglad att allting gick bra liksom. Så det är bara nya tag nu. Och den här podden eh, presenteras ju i samarbete med Matfri. Som hjälper dig att faktiskt hitta sinnesro och frihet i mat. Denne. Så att du är hjärtligt välkommen till matfri.se Och som vanligt så har ju vi en eh, frågestund i början av varje podd Och den här eh, veckan har jag fått en fråga från Jasmin Eller Jasmin, eh, jag säger Jasmin för det står vad som är J eh, Hej Mi, tack för en härlig podd, det är så skönt att ha en motpod till all vikthets Jag har bantat sedan jag var tonåring och insett när jag tittar tillbaka Att jag inte ens var stor när jag började banta Vikten har bara krupit uppåt så det är verkligen som du säger att jag bara bantat mig upp i vikt. Jag har alltid varit så avundsjuk på de tjejerna som kunde äta vad de ville och inte ens behöva bry sig om mat. Jag har alltid känt mig så fel och matfixerad. När alla tänker på alla roliga grejer de vill göra så tänker jag på mat. Mat är det bästa jag vet och jag älskar att äta. Jag brukar slösurva på matvideos och tänka på allt jag ska äta sen. Problemet är bara att jag går upp i vikt så himla lätt om mat så jag kan inte äta vad jag vill. Nu har jag börjat min resa till matfrihet och jag känner att det faktiskt går hela dagar när jag inte tänker på mat så mycket. Det är dock jobbigt mentalt att gå upp i vikt men det är så skönt att inte behöva förhålla mig till massa regler och känna att jag kan tänka på andra saker än bara mat. Min fråga är om det går att bli matfri trots att jag fortfarande önskar att gå ner i vikt. Det känns som jag aldrig kommer kunna släppa det. Kram Jasmin. Hej Jasmin och tack för din fråga. Det du beskriver i ditt mejl är det många av mina klienter som känner igen sig i, denna totala uppslukenhet av mat. Eftersom jag har bantat själv hela livet så trodde jag att det var en del av min personlighet. Nu inser jag att det bara handlar om att min hjärna bantades och alltså var i svältläge och då aktiverade alla försvar. Ett av försvaren handlar just om att framkalla fantasier kring mat och matfixering. Vi tror att det är en del av oss när det egentligen är kroppens försvar mot svält. När vi blir matfria så kommer matfixeringen lägga sig allt mer och du får tillgå till en helt annan hjärna. Helt plötsligt så är inte mat intressant mer när du faktiskt är hungrig. Du märker att du har en inbyggd spärr mot överätning och att så kallad onyttig mat inte attraherar mer än en morot. Jag vet att det känns som att det aldrig kommer hända när man är i början av matfrihet. Men jag ser det om och om igen hos mina klienter. Ditt liv börjar nu kära Jasmin. Eh, Angående önskan att bli smal. Det är en önskan alla bär på mer eller mindre. Det beror på att vi lever i en kultur som premierar smala kroppar. Där smala kroppar kan känna sig tryggare att få bättre vård, häftigare karriär och att inte bli förlöjligade i samhället. Något vi tittar på i kursen är varför vi vill bli smala. Handlar det om att känna sig värdefull, trygg eller uppskattad kanske? Vad ligger bakom önskan att bli smal? För grejen är ju att smal bara är ett verktyg för att uppnå någonting annat. Så vi behöver ta reda på vad det är. Det är samma sak som du har en annan hudfärg eller sexualitet än vit och straight. 
Ditt liv vore enklare om du vore vit och straight eftersom normativa kroppar får mer privilegier. Men du kan ju faktiskt inte ändra din hudfärg eller sexualitet. Istället behöver du jobba på att acceptera din kropp och dig själv precis som du är. Och när det kommer till matvet så går inte det att kombinera med försök att gå ner i vikt. Däremot bär många önskar att bli smala eftersom vi lever i det samhället vi gör. Nyckeln är att inte låta den önskan färga dina matval. Det är också en oerhört lidande förenat med att vilja bli smal. Eftersom 95% av oss går upp igen på lång sikt. Och våra bantningsförsök oftast backlashar och istället gör att vi går upp i vikt. Ju snabbare vi kommer till insikt att vi är maktlösa över vikten och sörjer fantasin om en smal och perfekt kropp, desto snabbare kan vi hitta lycka och tillfredsställelse i livet och med maten. Jag är fullt medveten om att det inte är lätt när vården är så infiltrerad av bantningsbranschen att till och med dina läkare hetsar dig en viktnedgång trots att all forskning visar på att det inte fungerar och att det istället borde Hjälpa dig att hitta vanor som stöttar din hälsa och är hållbara i ditt liv om du önskar sådan hjälp. För kom ihåg att hälsa är inget tvång. Alltså du behöver inte uppnå hälsa eller kämpa mot hälsa om inte du vill. Det är inte så att du inte har rätt att existera om du inte gör det. När det kommer till matvihet så är det så här att för personer som är smala handlar det om att våga riskera att gå upp i vikt och kanske utsätta för vikthet som det ser tjocka blir utsatta för. För tjocka handlar det snarare om att ge upp fantasin om att inte bli vikthetsad och diskriminerad en dag. Både två är väldigt utmanande men det handlar om syvende och sist att släppa kontrollen och lita på kroppen. Och det är därför matfri finns. För att det här är det svåraste vi har gjort i vårt liv. Och det är orimligt att behöva göra helt själv utan stöttning. Så att välkommen in till matfri. Där får du all stöd du behöver för att liksom verkligen hitta sinnesro i maten. Och vill du som lyssnar skicka in en fråga till vårens podd. Så maila myatmatfri.se Men nu, nu kör vi igång. Idag så kommer du få stå ut med min eh, svängelska igen. Eh, jag ska försöka vara så tyst som möjligt och bara ställa frågor så det inte skär så mycket i dina öron. Eh, för att jag är med mig en fantastisk gäst. Det är ju så här att det finns ganska lite fettacceptans i Sverige. Det finns, alltså det finns lite så här kroppspositivitet men just den radikala kroppsacceptansen är ju en väldigt liten nisch egentligen. Så att jag kände att det var på plats att bjuda in Daring Fat som har en, ett fantastiskt konto om just detta. Hon eh, pratar väldigt mycket om liksom radikal 
eh, kroppsacceptans och använder intuitivt ätande som en av nycklarna att komma dit. Så att det ska bli så spännande att prata med henne och jag älskar Ann. Hon har liksom största hjärtat av guld och behöver du hennes hjälp så går det utmärkt att få coaching och liksom verkligen jobba med Ann från Sverige. Det är liksom inga problem så att följ Daring Fat och ta kontakt med henne om något i det här samtalet intresserar dig. Men nu tycker jag att vi släpper in henne. Welcome Ann! Hi, thank you. <laughs> so nice to have you here. Oh, thank you. So nice to be here. Really looking forward to chatting. Yeah, I really love your account and I I was just telling our listeners that, you know, like radical self-acceptance, it's it's not a thing in Sweden. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it's it's a relatively new thing, I think. Well, at least talked about. It's yeah. talked about more now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So can you please present yourself to our listeners? Sure, sure. My name's Anne. Uh, I started my business, Daring Fat, a few years ago. I originally was introduced to intuitive eating by my own therapist um, after a multiple decades life suffering from an eating disorder and very unhappy in my body. So After pursuing my own path in intuitive eating and self-acceptance in a fat body, I realized that I could use all of my training skills and coaching skills to help other people. And it's incredible how much that helping others can help yourself as well, because it keeps the topic in mind It reminds me that I'm not alone. It reminds all of us that we're, we, we all struggle with this. We live in an incredibly fatphobic world that tells us that fat is horrible, awful, evil. And uh, that's just wrong. There is nothing wrong. People come in bodies of all shapes, sizes, colors, abilities, and... Accessing self-acceptance and self-compassion in a fat body is very possible. And, and a peaceful relationship with food and your body is very possible. Yeah. So why do you think this is a problem? Like, why do you think the society is so fixated about body fat? Yeah, that is a really huge question. You know... There's a lot of work and about the roots of fat phobia being in racism and in controlling the black body. That is not my area of expertise. I'm I'm uh, a, a, a Caucasian, a white person, so I don't have that background, but I do know that that's the origins of it. It then proceeded to color our beauty ideal the thin but once the thin became the beauty ideal then fat phobia really exploded into society as a way to say you need to change you're not acceptable which then led to oh and, and we're, we're going to say it's unhealthy too you know you're hurting yourself you're you're behaving poorly making bad choices so it's a 
it sort of colors everything. Fat phobia in our world says you can't be healthy, you can't be happy, you can't be loved, you can't be worthy if you live in a fat body. And the that the stigma from that, the fact that our world tends to discriminate and hate fat bodies, is really the source a lot of a lot of the disordered behavior, a lot of the self-hatred, a lot of disordered eating is coming from the stigma and and what our society thinks we should be doing. So. I think you say so much so much important stuff. Um but health. I, I asked this uh all of my guests, what is health for you? That is a really interesting question. Um, the first thing I would say is that we all get to define health for ourselves. That I don't believe that it is a universal state. I don't believe that there is some perfect state of health that we are we are all supposed to achieve. I believe that health we get to define defined for ourselves, we get to pursue behaviors that in essence sort of increase our satisfaction with life. It's 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 about so many things other than just physical health. There's so much mental well-being, social well-being that contribute to feeling whole and authentic in our bodies. So I guess I would say more that health is more like happiness than like not being ill. You know, it's more like being a whole human. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is and I think the west world is so, you know, hooked up with physical fitness right. instead yeah. of mental health and well-being. Mhm. And that is, you know, causing so much pain because, you know, all the diets is, yeah, you maybe change your body, body for, you know, like a little while, uh, right. but then your mental health, it's, yeah, you're suffering. Yeah, and and I, that that definition uh, is inaccessible for many many people. Many people are in, are in uh, otherly abled bodies who who aren't able to fit this sort of societal definition of health. So I think expanding it uh, and including something that we can all achieve for ourselves and reach for uh, and wish for ourselves uh, makes so much more sense. So you don't have to be like this fitness guru who lifts like, yeah, a hundred pounds with your single biceps to be <laughs> exactly exactly and I, and i think too it has led to this sort of we have taken things like nutrition for example and turned it into just the smallest pieces of information we can get to we sort of minimalized nutrition down to well if there's 1.2 grams of x in what you're eating then then it's bad for you You know, and, and and that is just so contrary to what science says. Nutrition is is everything about being human is a whole. There's so many pieces and parts that go into it 
that when we do try to say you can be healthy if you do X, you know, if you cut out this one ingredient, you will be better. And I think that's just so ignoring the actual picture of what it means to be a whole human being. Mm. Yes, it is. And it's like, okay, uh, everybody talks about like, yeah, food is fuel, but it's Mm -hmm. so much more than that. And that is, you know, we deprive ourselves from pleasure. And when we eat these fun foods, we are feeling so much guilt that it's, yeah, we cannot enjoy it. We're just feeling so ashamed for eating it. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I hear you have, you know, like a lot of life experience, lived experience from this. And so I just wonder how was your, uh, you know, like childhood and, you know, like young adulthood relating to weight and, and body image? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm older. I'm, I turned 60 this year. So I grew up in the seventies and eighties. Um, my family, my parents in particular were embedded in diet culture, just like the rest of the world. And attempted to teach me to be healthy with the limited knowledge and information they had. Uh, But what that ended up looking like was don't eat that, don't eat this. You need to eat less of that. You need to control your food. And, and I think what I learned was that I couldn't trust my body that that ended up being the big message I received growing up was that I shouldn't trust my body to decide what to eat. And other people shouldn't either. That that's you're supposed to listen to these external rules about eating. That, but that just ignores the fact that as humans, our bodies know exactly what to do and how to eat. And if we just learned to listen, we could hear it. But I grew up just like almost everybody else in this world, uh, being taught that fat is bad. Needed to control myself. Um, I first diet was probably around 11 or 12 and I, it was sort of a bonding experience with my mother. I think that's probably similar to a lot of experiences out there. I very quickly gave up dieting, but realized I was still deeply in an eating disorder and spent years and years not dieting, but knowing that I should be dieting. So it felt just as painful and just as awful that I wasn't doing it, but knowing that I should do it. So, and many, many attempts to get help for that. It wasn't until being introduced to intuitive eating and self-compassion and mindfulness that I was able to access listening to my body, listening to my body make to make decisions about eating. And that's what feels like being authentic and peaceful and not the chaotic mind that I was used to when I was in my eating disorder. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you've mentioned something 
so interesting. This, you know, either you're on a diet or or you're off, but feeling guilty that you're not on the diet. Exactly. So it's like, even if you don't dieting, you know, the diets are sucking the joy out, out of your life. Oh, exactly. And, and that state of should be dieting, it's sort of a 24-7 thought track, runaway train thought track in your head. What should I eat? When should I eat? Where should I get the food? Who's going to see me buy the food? What should I not eat? You know, sort of constant. And which really, for me, and I think a lot of people, ends up that nothing else happens. I can't pursue anything. I can't pursue anything professionally or, you know, anything in my life because I am so busy not dieting. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> it's holding it together, not dieting. <laughs> so so an, an incredible amount of time and space in your head opens up when you're able to let some of that go. Yeah. So you also said something more interesting that your first diet was like this bonding experience with your mother. Mm-hmm. Can you please tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. I think, you know, I think my mother, like so many women in our world, uh, well, her, in particular, my mom was 5'10", and for someone born in the 30s, that was that was big. That was, she, I don't, I don't really know much about her weight history until, you know, after she was 30 or whatever, and she was my mom. <laughs> but she was very aware. And I know that for her, taking me to a diet, we went to, uh, we did Weight Watchers together. So we would go to the meeting, do the weigh-in and sit in the little group and, you know, share and stuff. That's When you're 11 or 12 and you're doing that with your mom, that's really impactful on your psyche and your life to come. So, uh, you know, I think, I know that this was her concern for me. She didn't want me to experience what she experienced, which was stigma in a large body. Uh, she didn't want that for me, and she was trying to protect me in the in the only way that she could figure out that she knew how was to try to help me, you know, get smaller. Um, I honestly, I'm sort of shocked. I look back at photos, and it's odd. I, I wasn't in a larger body at the time, so it's 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 an interesting irony that. Even people in thin bodies go through this. They frequently voice that they feel, quote, feel fat. Well, fat's not actually a feeling, but that fear of being in a large body and living in a society that is constantly telling you, you can't trust yourself and you need to be smaller. You have to be smaller. If you're not smaller, horrible things happen. So, uh, you know, that becomes sort of, overwhelming and takes over everything in your life yeah yeah i'm totally agree and one of our uh, my followers she wrote to me and had like this terrible experience with her doctor Mm. she is 
living in a small body. She has uh, a BMI of 17, so it's really mm-hmm. small. And mm-hmm. she had to take some medication, some cortisone. Cortisone, I don't know how to pronounce it in English, but you swell in water weight when you when you eat that. So she was mm-hmm. really swollen in, you know, her face. And then she go to the doctor and the doctor told her to lose weight, even yeah. though she was... You know, in such a small body, she's like underweight, and uh, mm-hmm. because she, he thinks that she look look pluffy, and this is this is telling me so much about this weight stigma that it's like this dead end marathon. It's like you cannot win this game. Everybody no. suffer. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The the medical care is really problematic. There, There's just piles and piles of research now proving that the connection between fat and, quote, some of these unhealthy conditions is correlation. It's not causation. Most likely the causation factor is the weight stigma. Weight stigma is really damaging to a person and their health and their willingness to even go to a doctor. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's not the fat. I have yet to see a, a, a journal paper, a scientific journal paper. One, the researchers aren't being paid by a diet company. Two, the sample size, the number of participants in the study is larger than, say, 10, 10 people. Um, three, they account for the fact that if they started with a thousand participants and they ended up with a hundred who actually stayed in the study, they, most of those studies don't even mention the fact that hundreds of people drop out who, who, who can't, can't even do what the study is. So, you know, there's so many things when people say, well, you know, the science is there. Fat is bad. Well, have you actually read it? Have you read it? Critically, have you looked at who paid for the research? You know where it came from. It, it's an important element, and I think many, many doctors are like all of us, super busy. They don't have time to read the latest stuff, and it is so accepted. Fat uh, treating fat people like they have a unhealthy condition is so accepted in mainstream medicine that they don't think, they wouldn't even consider that there's a problem telling someone they need to lose weight. They think they're helping. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is so, it's so horrible because it kills so much people. People don't, you know, don't dare to visit the doctors and they don't, you know, when they go there, they don't take seriously. They just been, you know, please diet and get back to us. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's horrifying. If you've ever experienced, even if you're not in a fat body and experienced fat-phobic treatment, I think just about everybody has experienced a time when people weren't listening. You know, that you're trying to tell people about a problem or something's wrong, and they not only don't listen to you, but when they do, they tell you it's whatever the problem is, it's your fault. Yeah. That is 
just a horrifyingly painful place to be. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the fact that fat people don't go to the doctor makes perfect sense to me. It's a miserable experience. Yeah. And in and in the state here in Sweden, everybody has free care, but mm-hmm. in the state you 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 need insurance or yeah. have I yeah. And Yeah, there's insurance there is some uh Medicaid, there's there's some public insurance in states, some federal stuff, but a lot of people don't have insurance. Okay. Because I have heard on the internet that fat people don't get any insurance. Yes, tr- traditionally and I, I I'm sure it's still the same, but for a long time it was very well known that if you that if you applied for insurance One of the things they were allowed to ask you was all your supposed health metrics, like weight or BMI. BMI is frequently used. Um, and then turn you down if they decide that your your body is too large. They would just yeah. turn you down. We're not going to pay for you because we, you know, because of your weight, which makes no sense at all because weight is correlated it's not it doesn't cause health problems there are healthy people in top physical condition that are in large bodies oh it makes me so mad Mm -hmm. oh my god and i I, and this is you know this is the fear who drives all the crazy stuff about food exactly exactly yeah Yeah. yeah, I saw I saw a good post. It was funny. It was, uh, and I don't remember who posted, but it was sort of. So you're willing to do to not eat for a week, and you're willing to do a cleanse, and you're willing to eat some odd supplement, but if I say fat's okay, you want to see the scientific research, <laughs> 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 which is which is true. We our society accepts all this dieting craziness like it's of like. Duh, yes, of course it's true. You ought to do it, you know. Uh, but it's it's wrong. And and the voices out there saying, look at the research. Look at what is actually happening. It's not the fat. It's the weight stigma. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I listened to the Fat Doctor podcast and... Mm-hmm. There was a researcher who said, like, uh, the, you know, the determinants of health. And she said, like, you know, lifestyle is only 20%. And the rest is like society, uh, if you have, you know, access to health care. And, yeah, if you have, you know, uh, lots of friends and family and, and stuff like that. So, you know... 20% and that that includes like all stuff not only like you know food and training right yeah well there's access to to food access to nutritionally dense food there's so many things our genes our genetics account for huge share of our physical condition and what's possible for our body 
um, so many factors other than what we actually eat. Yeah. Yeah. Before you told us that you found relief in the food or from the dieting and all the crazy stuff that happened in the food by uh, examining uh, into intuitive eating. But here in Sweden, it's like totally unknown. So can you mm. tell us a little bit more about intuitive eating? Sure, sure. Yeah, intuitive eating... <sighs> The easiest way to explain it is that intuitive eating is the exact opposite of dieting. Dieting is all about external rules. So, for instance, you shouldn't eat that. That's somebody telling you don't eat that. So that's coming from outside of you, outside of your brain, outside of your body. So that's an external idea. Uh, this is where most of us live most of our lives is what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to eat? That's how we sort of even approach the question of what to eat. We get stuck in the, what am I supposed to eat? What's the right way to eat? Well, intuitive eating is exactly the opposite. Intuitive eating is about listening to your body, listening to what your body wants, listening to what your body needs When we live in diet culture, our hunger signals, our satiety signals, they wither. When we don't use them, they wither away and die. We don't, they, our body gets so used to us not listening that it stops talking. It doesn't communicate with us anymore. So intuitive eating is about rebuilding that relationship with your body rebuilding the trust in your body that you're going to listen. You're going to eat based on your body's needs and wants, which is totally different than eat based on what society tells you what to eat. And that's the sweet spot, listening to yourself instead of listening to others. Some frequently asked question is like, okay, but if I... Uh, stop dieting I will eat cookies and chocolate like 24-7 and I will end up like 300 pound life you know um, right right yeah. yeah you know it's a matter of intuitive eating um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch were the authors of the original book actually came out in the 90s incredibly um But they set out 10 sort of principles that are designed to help you listen to your body and get rid of the barriers that we've set up to listening. So what happens when you start allowing, when you allow yourself permission to eat whatever you believe your body wants to eat, you start to experience what food feels like. You start to experience, you know, from my own personal story, uh, being a binge, having binge eating disorder, I never felt how painful it was to have a binge because the whole goal was to numb out, not feel it, not see it, and not feel my emotions for sure. So 
the first door you have to crack open with intuitive eating is allow yourself to eat and then allow yourself to feel how your body feels having eaten whatever you just ate. That sounds like it should be easy, but it is not when we're so buried in diet culture telling us what to think and feel. So those first few experiences of I ate whatever I wanted to, what you find is that whatever you want to eat may change. If you're not listening to your body, you don't actually know what you want to eat. Yeah. You're frequently eating because play food, which is what Tribbley and Resch call what our world calls junk food, uh, food that is easy energy, easy carbs, easy to numb us out frequently. But when you start feeling that, when you start being conscious and aware of your eating behavior, conscious and aware of what it feels like in your body, um, you may start making different choices. That's the idea, to make different choices because of how you feel, not because of what someone else told you to do. Yeah, yeah. And that is so important because I remember when I started, it was like I ate chocolate for breakfast <laughs> right. uh -huh. but it was so and i thought oh my god i'm so crazy i have like this relapse in my sugar addiction you know that was right. my thoughts but now of course i enjoy chocolate actually every day because i haven't eaten it for so many years so right. i have a lot of chocolate to you know Uh, keep up with <laughs> with this <laughs> and make up really for really... lost time <laughs> yeah exactly so you know chocolate you know i i really enjoy it and it makes my life so much better but i don't need like one pound a day i need yeah. like just some smaller amounts and if you look at my food today it's like It's really reminding me of my dieting days. But mm -hmm. this comes from a totally new place. It's like a place from self-care. Like, right. Right. I know that I get really tired if I eat, you know, white bread. So I can choose uh, sometimes, you know, often I, I choose like a low-carb bread for me. Uh, mm -hmm. But I have totally flexibility. So... You know, I take brunches with my girlfriends and eat whatever I like. Mm -hmm. But I can eat from a place of self-care today, not dieting. And that is amazing. Yeah, it's a big difference, isn't it? It feels totally different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what about this, you know, that many people are really afraid of, you know, like weighing 600 pounds and not oh. be able to move. That is like that this horrific picture many of us carry and why right. we don't let our bodies to decide what to eat. Yeah. It's so hard because I... Honestly, I still shy away... I, I don't want to judge someone in a 600-pound body or however many pounds. I 
still firmly believe that those are personal choices. What works for us? We also have this, society likes to paint this picture that if you're fat, you can't move and you can't be healthy. And you know, you're obviously going to be horrib- horribly unhealthy if you do this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's really important to consciously shy away from those pictures to consciously, I find it, for instance, it's troublesome and frequently happens that people turn intuitive eating into a diet, just yet another way to control what we eat and avoid getting fat. So what happens is if the thought, the fear of fat, the thought that if I eat too much, I'm going to get fat. I don't want to be fat. Fat is awful. If any of that is still in your head when you try to work on intuitive eating, it's not, not necessarily going to work very well. You almost have to work on self-compassion first. You almost have to work on I am okay. You know, I am struggling but I struggle just like everybody else. And I, you know, I wish peace for myself. You know, that's almost the most important first step for intuitive eating. Because intuitive eating, like anything else, if you're enmeshed in diet culture, is going to lead you to think, well, if I do this, then I'll get thin. And that thought is dangerous. That thought leads you into dieting. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I think it's so important to, I know that you talked about this sometimes, that, you know, see that fat people live ordinary life. They are intelligent. They have, uh, you know, like a rich life. They have ordinary life. And that television program, it's just, television that isn't true yeah yeah oh yeah fat people have have lives and lovers and disappointments and just like everybody i you know i it's very it's odd that there's so many things about being human that we are different between each other Mm. but body size has turned it well and skin color to name two have this huge impact on how we're treated in the world and how people relate to us, which just changes so many things, changes our personal relationships. And because of that, because it's a struggle to live in this world in a fat body, it is also yet another reason that self-compassion is so essential. Self-care, self-compassion, holding yourself with grace and and just breathing and living your life. They're so important. Yeah, it is. It is. So instead of, like, shaming yourself, right. you can, you know, like, explore with curiosity and, you know, you know, like, just be, be there for yourself. Right. Yeah, I, I, I say that often. Shame never once motivated me to change anything in my <laughs> life. Shame motivated me, to, motivated me to hide in my house and binge eat. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's, what, that's what shame did me for. So anytime somebody says, 
should you really be eating that? Anytime anybody comments on your food or your body, that is yeah. shame. They are putting shame on you. And that it's not that's harmful. Yeah. So I understand that people have quote good intentions, unquote. But it's important that people start to open their eyes a little and understand fat people aren't 100% responsible for educating everybody either. You know, some of this needs to filter out. But, but yes, there's a lot of learning that needs to be done about how to help people, how to be compassionate. And shaming people is not compassionate. No, it is not. And I think that, you know, one more thing that fat people get shamed about is health. It's like, okay, you can be fat as long as you're healthy. Right, right. Yeah, and and I think we even touched on that. Health is not, you don't know health to anybody. Health is a personal choice. Yeah. There's no requirement that Joe down the street be healthy. Yeah. I, you know, that's not my business. That's not, that's not anybody's business. But yeah. somehow... Our world thinks that, yeah, fat is somehow everybody's business. Well, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's like if you gain weight and people like, oh, my God, how are you? And just, you know, assuming that you're feeling crap. Um, mm -hmm. But nobody will ask that to the neighbor who, you know, puts photos on Instagram that they're having wine every weekend. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, and, and what we do, when you think about what we do when we uh, come across someone we haven't seen in a while that has lost weight. People yeah. will, oh, you look wonderful. Have you lost weight? Well, <laughs> yes, I have cancer. Um, yes, I have, I have a bowel obstruction. I mean, there's many horrible reasons why people lose weight. And yet we walk around and just assume it's a wonderful, awesome thing. But there are many reasons why a change in body size is just not anybody's business because you don't know why it occurred. You don't know anything about it. Exactly, exactly. And You know, unintentional weight loss is never good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it means something is happening. Something yeah. is happening in your, in your physical body. Uh, just like gaining weight. Something is happening in your physical body. There are millions of things it could be. Yeah. And, and we all just assume, oh, well, the person, they are eating too much. That's insane. The calories in, calories out, which was sort of, I think is like, well, I think of it as like, well, of course the earth is flat. It looks flat. You know, that's why people think calories in, calories out is true because it sounds logical. Well, that doesn't mean it's true. And it's not true. There are so many, so many factors. Uh, our, our, our history of movement Uh, exercise, history of movement and exercise, history of our genetics. Our, so many things can be out of balance. If our emotional health is a wreck, things happen in our body physically. If we're experiencing weight stigma and we are 
uh, hating on ourselves, uh, struggling with self-hatred or suicidal thoughts, that can affect your physical body. Stress, when you're in, under stress, your body releases cortisol, it releases a chemical. That affects your body. And weight stigma is stress. That is stress. So there's so many things. And the fact that we all just assume, well, it's, it's what the person's doing. It's the person's behavior, which somehow makes us think we get to judge it and them. And yeah. I think that's wrong. I think compassion is the more authentic way to treat other people and to treat ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, before I explored intuitive eating, it's, I thought, you know, like calories in, calories out was like these fixed numbers. But then mm -hmm. I started to investigate it. And it's like, if you look at calories out, that is adjustable. If you're going to a diet, your body will lower that number. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And calories in, it can differ with 20% according to FDA. Because the calories uh, are, it's totally approved that, you know, it can differ with 20%. So if it's, it's say it's a bar with 100 calories in, it can actually be 120 calories or 80 calories. And that right. is totally okay. So yeah. this, you can't, even if you have the brains, you can't know the exact numbers. Right. So this right. is like so fucking stupid. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like to tell people if there's a number involved, it's not important. <laughs> So, for instance, your weight, how yeah. much you weigh, it's a number. That's an external that's an external piece of information, not important. Your BMI, that all that is is the ratio of your height to your weight, not important. Not proof or cause of anything. Uh, calories, not important. Weight, I mean, all those things, again, it's external. It's, it's kind of an easy way to go, okay, if... If I'm stuck in my brain, busy with what should I do, that's external. I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> Take a breath. Mm -hmm. Go inside. Go inward. Go into your body. That's where wisdom is. That's where our body's natural, if you want to say God-given ability to be alive, to just be. That's the sweet spot. I just wanted to end this episode with your best advice to get more self-acceptance in your life. How can we do that? You know, I um, am a big uh, believer in self-compassion. And uh, a researcher, Kristen Neff, has written and done a lot of research on self-compassion. And she has a self-compassion practice that I teach people Very easy to use. It's just three little steps. Anytime you're struggling, anytime you don't know, quote, the right thing to do, unquote, anytime you're suffering, you're feeling pain, you're scared. So the first step, or, or you're battling 
I want to eat. I don't want to eat. I want to eat. I don't want to eat. It's three steps. First step is just turning toward the discomfort, turn towards the pain. What hurts? And say to yourself, maybe even close your eyes, deep breaths. I am really struggling. This is really hard. So it's an acknowledgement that something painful or difficult is happening instead of turning away from it. So turn towards it. Tell yourself, this really sucks. I hate this. This is awful. I'm having a hard time. The second step is acknowledge your shared humanity, which is, I am not abnormal. This is, everybody struggles. Everybody goes through problems. Everybody has a hard time with stuff. I'm not alone. And then the third step is, whatever you want to be a wish for you. May I be at peace. May I accept myself as I am. May I be safe. So it's turn towards the pain, number one. Know that you're not alone, number two. And number three, the wish for yourself. What do you want for yourself? Hmm. You want to be at peace. You want to be happy. And that's that's the first step, I think, <clears throat> to start opening the door to a lot of this work is learning how to hold yourself with self-compassion. Oh, that is so beautiful. Thank you, Anne. And if our listeners will would, would like to connect with you and see more of you, where can they find you? Well, I am on Instagram, uh, Daring Fat. I also have my website at daringfat.com. Or you can just email me, Anne at daringfat.com. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Anne, for joining us here in Sweden. I hope you will join us some more time. And now I will switch to Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank so, you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> thank you, Anne. Så tyckte du om det här avsnittet så... Gå gärna in och lägg en röst på det eller rösta upp den här podden i din poddapp eller på Spotify för det hjälper oss att nå ut till fler och vi behöver även din hjälp att sprida det här avsnitten, den här podden överlag så sprid den gärna i sociala medier så blir jag glad. Och så ses vi igen nästa vecka. Puss och kram! En podd från Aller Media.